God, thanks so much for letting us uh, come together and worship you this morning. Uh, your name is so worthy. Um, thank you for all the mothers. Thank you for uh, all the pain they've been through for us, for all the love they showed us, for the example of Christ they've been to us. And I pray that you would speak through Michael, uh, you would speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And while you were doing that, if you would turn to First Peter chapter 2. We will be looking at two verses this morning, 11 and 12. Um, as always, a, a reminder of where we have been. Um, abbreviated this morning, you've uh, kind of gone through that, that outline. I'm going to bypass that, but talk about the what Peter's writing about, statements up there. Remember, Peter's writing to teach them based on what God has done. We talked about the fact that He has done this wonderful salvation that's got a past, present, and future aspect to it. How to live where they don't belong when they're facing difficulties. And particularly this morning, we're going to talk about those difficulties uh, in a little bit of detail. Peter begins to bring that out. Um, but first, some, some bad news for you. You probably already know this. There are people in this world who don't like you. Some of them you may know. You may personally know people who don't like you, but there are lots of people in this world because of the fact that you actually believe what this says, that it, that it dictates to us how we should live, how we should relate to one another, our behavior, uh, the character that we should uh, emulate. Simply because of those things, there are people in this world who don't like you. Uh, we could narrow that down, not just this world, uh, in this country, in this state. There are people in this county who, because you claim to follow Christ and you claim that this actually has authority over our lives, there are people, uh, not just that they don't like you, they would actually say that you're evil. If you buy into even sort of any of maybe what Genesis have to say, the people who would say that you're simple or ignorant, backward, if you hold certain views that the Bible holds on marriage or gender or anything else, they might even say that you're bigoted. And when I hear those things, and I've heard them, certainly read them, Sort of, I feel this sort of hurt and this anger sort of kind of well up. In the past, I've, I've heard people who may not said that we're evil or that don't like me, but sort of are embarrassed by certain stands that I take or, or other people that I know in the church take. And they feel the need around other certain people to apologize for for certain ways that, that people like you act. That you would attend a church like this that holds to certain things. That, well, you're just not enlightened enough and so they feel the need to apologize and, and it's sort of just, I, I, get, I get angry. And, and there's this battle that I think needs to be fought. 
there's this battle in our culture that I think that I want to enter into and I want to take my enemy and your enemy because I care for you and I love you and I don't like for me or you to be talked about that way. And like Gandalf and the Balrog, I want to smote my enemy on the mountain. Like there's this righteous indignation that wells up and I want to solve that problem. And then we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, and I'm greatly convicted because there is a battle that needs to be fought. But if Peter's right, and I think he is, I'm engaged in the wrong battle. And so Peter writes these words beginning in chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, he says, not just people he's writing to, but you and I, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that we would hear, that we would see clearly. God, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our minds to understand. Ultimately, God, that you would speak to our wills, that we would be different and be like you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Last week, we spent some time talking about our identity in Christ, that we're like God, living stones. Specifically, towards the end of that passage, that we are God's people. And so Peter now makes a contrast. Because there's a reality, there really is a reality. You are, as Peter said, God's people. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, He's made you His people, but now He contrasts that in verse 11. He says, you're aliens and strangers. Say, but Peter, why would... But you've just said we're God's people, and and we know that God's people have a place and have a community and, and have a name and... And yet what's interesting is, while yes, God's people have in the past had a place that we've called Israel, those words, aliens and strangers, God actually used the exact same words for Abraham in Genesis 23. That God's people for 400 years were aliens and strangers in Egypt. Peter is connecting the church to a long continuity line of his people who have been his people despite where they are. So there's this reality and then there's our actual situation. We we believe, we trust that we're God's people and that we find ourselves in a place that we don't belong, right? We're uncomfortable. We're out of our element. This is not where we're supposed to be, right? This sort of is is out of place at Christ Community Church, but it's the reminder, the weekly reminder. Got to pick out a tie, right? Ever, ever. And then I pray. It reminds me to pray. God, help us to see that despite the fact that we're uncomfortable, that we're out of place, that we really are your people. Not only that, he says right before that we're God's people, that we've received mercy back in the last section we looked at. But now he says down in verse 12 that we've been slandered. Now, those are almost opposite of each other. See, receiving mercy really is is we're not getting what we deserve, right? Kind of one definition of mercy. 
And yet slander is getting something that we don't deserve. It's lies about us, things that aren't true that, well, I don't deserve that. And yet, so these people, who there's this reality, you've received mercy, you are God's people, that's your identity, but your situation where you're living is different. And what we find ourselves in this day and age as Christians is living in a place where we more and more and more feel like maybe we just don't belong here. We live in a culture that is necessarily against us, against the things we stand for, that celebrates things that we don't celebrate. And they slander us because of that. That's not unusual in the Roman Empire. That happened all the time to early Christians. They were called names, just like we're called names. They were called unpatriotic and they were called bad citizens because they didn't participate in the things that Romans participated in. Because of certain language that they used, because people didn't understand what Christianity was about, um, Christians were called cannibals. The rumor got out they were eating and drinking blood and flesh. They were called incestuous because they married their brothers and sisters. But they didn't understand the language that Christians used, and so they were bad-mouthed. And plus, they were just different. They were weird. They were this, this other people who just didn't follow along with culture. And so they find Christians found that their reality was different than their situation. God, you say that I'm your person, I'm your child, I'm your family, I'm your people, and yet I feel like an alien and a stranger and I'm slandered. And we want to fight that battle. And the reason that we want to fight that battle, I think, deep down inside, the reason that we want to engage in that battle is that we're out to protect our reputation. See, my reputation's been hurt. Your reputation has been hurt. I've been slandered. I've been called names. And, but that's... You don't understand. That's not who I am. That's not me. I'm, if you just understood what I believed, right? But Peter tells us that we're not supposed to fight that battle. As much as we want to, as much as we're tempted to, as much as we think that's the necessary battle that we've got to fight, because if we don't convince the culture that we're right, it'll just get worse. And so there's this great need for us to engage the culture, and Peter says, that's not the battle. It's not the right one. In fact, there's another battle that if we win that one, it'll actually have a positive impact on the culture. even though the one in the culture is more tempting to fight. It's the battle for our soul. He says, Beloved, I urge you, I challenge you, I plead with you, that word means, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. See, the battle's not out there. right? The battle is not the slander. The battle is not the culture. The battle is in here. Here's where the battle we have to fight begins. We often think, um, we often assign to that word fleshly lust, we often think about a sexual connotation. That word has a much broader meaning than that. Passage Jim read the exact same phrase, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires or the lusts of the flesh. Same two words, 
And then Paul goes and, and talks about what, what the outworking of that is if we let that happen. And while sexual immorality is part of that list, there's lots of other things too. There's anger. There's envy. There's jealousy. There's division. There's lots and lots of other things. And it's really anything that's inside us that wants control of us. It's, it's that uncurbed human response to life. A couple of authors call it, it's, it's our natural reflex when something happens because of the flesh. It's what just kind of comes out if we're not paying attention, if we're not trying to put anything else in its place. It's our flesh. And that's the battle, he says, that is waging war, and that's the battle. Peter never talks about fighting the other battle. He never says, counter their slander. But we don't want to fight that one. And the reason we don't want to fight that one is because my kingdom is being attacked, my reputation. That's the one I want to fight. I don't want to deal with what's inside of me. I want to deal with what's outside because I can see it and touch it and feel it and I can engage. But it's not the most important battle. And I think it's not the most important battle because there really are, there are two dangers, there are two temptations, as we've talked about many times, there are two ditches we can fall in. When we try to engage the world, when I'm trying to protect my reputation, if that's what I'm after, if that's what is most important in my mind, then there are two places that I'm going to end up going. Is Number one, I will fight that battle in the flesh. I won't depend upon God. I'll just, the same way they gave it to me, I'm going to give it back. Whether that's my words or my tone or the way I'm doing it, if they're going to call me names, I'm going to call them names. And you see Christians doing that all the time. Using the same tone, the same methods, the same words that the world uses to slander us, we just slander them right back. And does that ever solve the problem? Oh, we can couch it as, well, but I'm, I'm exhibiting righteous indignation or righteous anger. Like Jesus in the temple, right? We compare ourselves to Jesus in the temple. The problem is, do you really think a non-believer can distinguish between anger and righteous anger? Do you really think they have the ability to do that? You really think they're going to look at your motives and go, you know, he, he just cares about my soul. Maybe better yet, do you think your kids can distinguish between anger and righteous anger? And so we, we act like the world, and instead of avoiding those things, we give them free reign. We let them well up. We respond in anger or division or slander or gossip. The second, the other ditch that we tend to fall into when we're trying to protect our reputation, this is becoming more and more common, is we'll compromise our faith. We'll distance ourselves from a certain segment of Christianity that's being slandered. We'll compromise on issues. We'll say, well, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God, but these ways are supposed to behave. That was for another time and another place. 
We'll apologize for Christian's behavior. We'll throw each other under the bus so that someone doesn't look at us and go, oh, you're like them. Either way, we're fighting that battle in the flesh and really the only thing we're doing is protecting our reputation. We think that somehow that's paramount. I've got to get you to quit talking about me either by fighting back using the same words you use or compromising things that I believe or things that I hold true or distancing myself from certain segments of the Christian population. We'll take my brother and sister and toss them under the bus because, well, my reputation is more important. And Peter says, he actually doesn't say, that's not the battle we fight. What if we were more concerned with God's reputation than our own? Would that change the way that we respond to being strangers and aliens that we respond to the slander, persecution, the frustration of life. What if we actually fought the battle that we were supposed to fight? And Peter said there are, there are two aspects to that. Number one is you avoid the lust of the flesh. We're going to talk about that in detail in just a second. And then he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And then what Peter's going to do, he's going to take a a break. He's going to come back to this idea of how we respond to persecution in four, but for the next chapter and a half, he's simply going to list out very practical, appropriate ways that we keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles. It's living life that even someone who might not agree with what we believe would go, you know, they're, they're a good person. They're living the way that I would think you're supposed to live. And he's going to lay those out, and I ask you to read that this week. We need to keep those in in the back of our mind. And all of them begin with that word that we don't like, which is? Submit. Over and over again through 2 and 3, Peter says, submit. That's how we keep our behavior excellent among the Gentiles. We'll talk about that in detail over the next several weeks. This morning we're going to focus on that first one, avoiding fleshly lusts. The reason we do both of those is because they will see us for who we really are, that's the goal, and they will glorify God when He returns. If we seek to protect our reputation, they won't see us and glorify God when He returns. They will see someone protecting their reputation. They will see someone who's fighting back. So the battle is here. So how do we engage in that battle? How do we protect God's reputation? Well, the first thing, we have to really evaluate our lives. We need to take stock. One of the things that I seriously want you to do this week is to go home and look at Galatians 5 that, that Jim read. And there's, there's two things we need to do with this. Number one, we look at that list in beginning in verse 19 that goes all the way through verse 21. The deeds of the flesh, the outworking of those things. And we look at that list and go, am I characterized even every once in a while by any of those words in that list? We just need to evaluate because if we don't believe that this is us, we won't do anything about it. 
We need to prayerfully walk through this list and say, am I characterized by immorality, by impurity, by sensuality, by idolatry, by putting anything above God, by sorcery, by enmities, by strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So the end of that prayer should be, God, if there's anything in this list, or it's not in this list, would you tell that to me too? We need to evaluate our lives. Does any of this characterize me even part of the time? That's something we all need to sit down and pray through this week. And it would be helpful if you talk to someone else. Because other people can see things that we will rationalize away or deny or are blind to. We need to evaluate. And then, the second half of that is, we look at the other list. Well, these are the fruits of the Spirit. If I'm actually, if I'm fighting that battle, then these things should be evident in my life. Right? So again, pray. God, where do I struggle to exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Where are those a problem for me? In what situations do those things tend to disappear? Right? Sometimes we can exhibit those really well in certain situations, and in certain situations they almost vanish. We need to begin to evaluate, okay, so, so where does that happen? And what does that look like? And we need to pray through that and, and make a list. Okay, so here, here are the things that, that those lusts of the flesh that I shouldn't be doing. Here's the fruit of the Spirit that I should be doing. And, and here's what's missing and what needs to go away. We need to evaluate our life. That's the first thing we need to do. The second thing is obviously we, we want to change, right? But how do we do that? Right? Paul, it's this, sometimes Paul frustrates me. There's this statement. Well, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. Well, that's nice, Paul. That sounds really easy, right? If I drive from Murphy to the hospital by old 64, I won't drive from Murphy to the hospital on new 64, right? That's the, what we're talking about, right? If you take this path, you won't take that path. Well, it's easy to do that down there because there's a sign and there's a fork in the road, right? But what does that look like practically in my life this week? How do I walk by the Spirit instead of carrying out the desires of the flesh? Number one, I think we need to know the truth. If we don't believe what God has done for us, if we don't believe Romans 6, that I really am dead to sin, that, that through the power of the Spirit I have the ability to say no, if I don't believe that, then the battle is already lost. There's no sense fighting. Right, so we have to know the truth. We have to know that we really are dead to sin. We also have to know and not have this pie-in-the-sky mentality. The flesh really exists. And it seeks to wage war against who you are as one of God's children. Those two things are true. And if we don't believe them, then we've already lost the battle. Right? I am dead to sin if I've identified with Christ's death and resurrection. But the flesh is still very real, and it is a constant battle. But if we don't recognize that we're in a fight, <laughs> we don't stand much of a chance, right? Because we'll get ambushed every time. You're in a fight. You're in a battle. 
Are you aware that you have the ability to win that battle? You have superior weaponry. Okay? So the first thing, know the truth. The second thing is you've got to take part in your sanctification. Right? You get a role to play. Paul tells the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then the good news for really, you know what? It's God who works in you to will and act according to His good pleasure. I'm going to repeat some things that I've, that I've told you before here. We're going to look at the list we've looked at before. This comes from John Piper. It's nothing that I've created at all. Um, how do I take part in my sanctification? Well, here's something that he does. You could modify it, rearrange it, think through it. But the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But if you're just sitting and going, Okay, God, change me. Okay, God, change me. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. It's possible that you'll wait a long time. There are times, and I've seen it done, where God miraculously changes someone from who they were behavior-wise, not just changing them from an old man to a new man, taking away certain addictions, taking away certain desires instantaneously. That doesn't seem to be the normal course of things, or there wouldn't be so many imperatives in Scripture. Right? And so He wants us to engage in the battle. He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. He says, avoid those things. And so um, Piper lays out six things that he, that he uses an acronym ANTHEM, A-N-T-H-E-M, that he says, whenever there is this temptation, whenever my flesh wells up, whatever it looks like, here's what I do. Number one, even before that, the A stands for to avoid. Like Peter says, avoid those things. Right? If you know that certain things cause a certain reaction in you, then why would you go there? Right? Avoid those things. Stay away from them. It's not rocket science. Right? I mean, we learn that little, don't touch the stove. If I know that's going to burn me, right, do it once. But see, in things concerning sin, we're relatively stupid. Right? We know that we get in trouble when we do certain things, and yet we keep doing those. Because the flesh is powerful. It's waging war against your soul. You need to fight that battle. Second, the N, say no. And Piper says, if you don't say no within five seconds, you're going to lose the battle. So he, I, don't, I, don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a scientific stopwatch on that, but if you don't, in your mind, say, no, I'm not going to do this, now, that doesn't mean the battle's over then, but if you, don't, if you don't decide to engage in that fight immediately, you're going to lose that fight. Right? Because the flesh is armed too. Correct? So I, I've got to engage in the fight or I've lost. The T. Turn to something magnificent like the cross. So you've got to redirect your mind. You actually have the ability to do that through the power of the Spirit. You can say, I'm not going to think about this anymore. You can turn your mind to something magnificent. What's more magnificent than the cross of Christ? Than His glory? Or our reunion with Him in heaven? Have you memorized some verses that you can set your mind on during those times? Right, Paul says, whatever is beautiful, whatever is lovely, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He writes to the Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. 
For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. For when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also be revealed with Him in glory. Set your mind on those things. But you've got to do that. You can't say, oh, that sounds good. You actually have to engage in the battle. The H. It's not so simple that. We've got to hold that in our mind. If we just hold, do that for a second, right, the flesh doesn't give up that easy. You may pin it down behind a bunker, but it's going to stay. You've got to hold those thoughts in your mind until that temptation decides to go away. The E. Enjoy God's greater promises for us. And here may be the hardest part. Do you really believe the promises that God has given us? And do you rejoice in them? Can you enjoy the fact that God has taken you from death to life? It's not a whole lot different than turning your mind, but it's actually rejoicing in those things. Because what we want to do is we want to, whether we would couch it in those terms or not, we want to rejoice in our sin. Right? We enjoy being angry. We enjoy the lust. We enjoy the gossip. We enjoy whatever it is that we've given the flesh full reign to. Do we enjoy God's promises? I have been made a new man. I have been redeemed. I've been reconciled to the holy creator God. We just offer praise and adoration for that. And then finally, the M in anthem is move on to some Christ-exalting activity. Wherever I was and this sin came by, do something else with your time. Maybe that's prayer. Maybe that's spending time in the Word. Maybe that's just engaging in a conversation with someone. We're not talking about the fact that, okay, I'm just going to be super spiritual for the moment. We're talking about life. Will you engage in some Christ-exalting activity? Will you do what God has called you to do? Usually sin is a distraction from life. I think Paul, I think Peter, I think John, certainly Jesus would say, would you live life to the fullest? Quit playing around with all that piddly sin stuff and live a joyful life. That sin stuff doesn't get you anywhere. You know, what happens is if we fight that battle, it will have an effect on the other battle. Because Peter says they will see your good works and glorify God on the day of his visitation. But if we fight that other battle, we'll lose both of them. And it's hard because we don't think, if I fight the battle in here, how could that have any effect on those people out there? Well, it will because you'll be transformed and you'll be different. And after Peter makes his long digression in chapters 2 and 3, he comes back to this. And he says, be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the hope that is within you. Because he knows and he recognizes that other people will recognize when we're doing what he's called us to do. But it requires us engaging in the battle. I would love to become an artist. I would love to be able to draw well. There's lots of times when I'm studying the word I like to doodle. 
and it's, it's not very pretty. Would love to be able to draw. And last summer I came up here and took a couple of art lessons from Mark and learned a couple of things. And I practice those every once in a while. I'm not a very good artist. Because I really haven't, I really haven't engaged in that battle. Right? I can say I want to be an artist all I want to. But if I, don't, if I don't have someone showing me the right way to do that, and if I don't practice, if I don't engage in that, I will never become an artist. But I could tell Brandon, Brandon, I want to be a great basketball player. Well, that's not going to happen if I don't do what? Practice and, and get someone to teach me how to do that. And I can say all day long, I'm, I'm a good basketball player, but if you watch, no one's going to be impressed. Right? My life is not going not to impact anybody else. And I can argue all I want that I'm a good artist, I'm a good basketball player, but that's not going to change your mind. What's going to change your mind is if you see me drawing or dribbling, right? That's what will change someone's mind. Not arguing with them. I'm a good artist. You can't tell me I'm not. When we engage the world in the battle on their terms, we will lose that fight every time. When we engage the battle that goes on in here, not only can we win this one, but we have a good chance of winning that one as well. And that really is the only way that it happens. So it's fairly simple. This week, we need to evaluate. Where are we? Where do I struggle? with the lust of the flesh and with the fruit of the Spirit? Where am I missing fruits of the Spirit and where am I not engaging in that battle or just I fail regularly or even every once in a while in that list in Galatians plus whatever God brings to your mind? And then would you begin putting into practice some form of what we talked about? Would you begin acting like what God wants you to be, someone who has the ability through the power of the Spirit to overcome sin and really to begin to look like what God wants us to look like? And in that process, we can stop worrying about what the culture thinks of us or says to us, or even how the culture is going, because if, if we all did what God wants us to be, we would impact our surrounding community, which would then impact a larger community, which would then impact a larger community. That's how that works. It might be a slow process. Nonetheless, it would be an effective process. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word and the truth that's in it. The simplicity of what you've called us to. And God, we have been distracted as a church because we think that the battle is, is out there. God, help us to be mindful that the battle is in here, in our hearts, in our flesh. Father, remind us of the truth of what you've done for us. Remind us that your spirit fills us and that we are well equipped to fight those battles. And then God, pray that you would give us the comfort and the strength and the perseverance to not only train, but to engage in the battle that's waging war for who we are. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.